What up all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 186 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Emil Goliath from DrEmil.com. Emil is a medical doctor. He's also a nutrition coach. He has his own supplement company. He has his own real estate investing firm. Emil is an all-around awesome human being, a digital nomad I had the privilege of getting to know in Thailand, somebody who is helping so many people online reach their fitness goals and taking his knowledge online and creating a viable location-independent business where he can travel the world, do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, and somebody that just is the sweetest man I've ever met. So if you're somebody who needs that type of service, you want a accountability coach, someone to really help you create a plan, help you lose that weight, get fit, get the body that you've always desired, check out DrEmil.com. He's a really, really gentle giant, such a beautiful human being who will take you by the hand and help you achieve those goals. Please, if you're a first-time listener, pull out that phone, hit the subscribe button on whatever you're listening to this on, whether it's on your Android, on your iPhone, whatever it may be. That really helps you within the algorithms that help people find Misfits and Rejects when they do a search online. The more likes, the better. The more subscribers, the better. The more comments, the better. The more ratings, the better. So I appreciate you just pulling out that phone, hitting the subscribe button. And if you want, Emil and I would really appreciate you sharing it with a friend. But I have no doubt you'll get a lot out of this episode. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Emil Goliath from DrMeal.com. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Emil Goliath from DrEmil.com. Emil, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, brother. Um, we've spent a few... I mean, we've been cross paths now twice in Thailand, and um, we did Get Shit Done that first year together. I think Was that your first year with Get Shit Done? Yeah, that was my first year with, with the nomading, really, okay. as well. Yeah. Wow. And so when you say your first year of nomading... Uh, we'll get into it in a second, but that was the first year you kind of cut ties with the UK and head out as a like entrepreneur online who's trying to be location independent from their nine to five. It's been a long journey, which I imagine we'll get into since 2015. But that was kind of the first six months out of you know the UK traveling around, being being the nomad thing. Uh, we did go back to the UK briefly and then headed out again, and now we're we're kind of fully fully nomad okay cool and when you say we that means you and your girlfriend or wife at this point yeah myself and my girlfriend yeah which is a story in itself because we just happened to both be able to go nomad simultaneously which worked out quite well yeah i can imagine that's um the only way it could work i mean doing the the long distance thing for many people i speak to usually winds up in a breakup and then the different sort of work styles and travel patterns and desires usually kind of break people up as well when when you're on the road together and people have different agendas but it sounds like you guys have been making it work for a while that's awesome man yeah i can't even imagine if we were you know doing totally opposite things with different lifestyles it would be so difficult 
it just doesn't or wouldn't align. I mean, I'm sure there are people who manage it, but yeah, I'm grateful that it works like it does. Yeah, dude, that's super cool. Um, so yeah, let's dive in a little bit of your story because for me, what's most intriguing about you is you know you took a fairly traditional path originally, and you became a medical doctor. Um, you did you know the whole uni thing, became a medical doctor, and then there was a pretty big transition in your life. Do you mind taking us through myself and the audience through kind of like your earlier years and, and where you found yourself, and to kind of getting to where you decided to break from being a a doctor into more of a nomad? Yeah, for sure. So I come from a family of doctors and that inevitably funneled me into the medical field. Uh, from 16, I kind of knew I wanted to be a doctor insofar that my dad said I should be a doctor. And I was like, okay, that sounds reasonable. Careers laid out, income is good. Don't have to think about it. Great. And actually I enjoyed it for a while, went through university. I always liked fitness, worked in gyms, did a sports science degree alongside my medical degree, and then started working as a doctor and kind of got stuck into it for three years. And then over sort of year three and four working, I kind of started to get disillusioned and it got to a point where I was sitting with one of my bosses in theater. I trained as an anesthetist, anesthesiologist, and she was complaining about money and life and everything. And she had it pretty sweet as doctors go. And I just thought, this isn't me. This isn't what I want. This isn't where I want to be in 10 years, 20 years. You know, I don't want to be on this conveyor belt. So that was 2014, 15. And at that point, I started to engineer my escape with no idea how or what I was going to do but 100% knowledge of what I didn't want to do. So uh, August 2015 was when I, you know, left full-time medical work, started working as a fitness coach, started posting on Instagram, started competing as a bodybuilder. That was my grand plan at the time, become a Insta influencer thing. And started learning, making mistakes on the path to entrepreneurship. Now, as a doctor, you can work uh, locum shifts. You can do temp work quite easily. So that helped me smooth the transition. And I did that up until a couple, well, relatively recently, actually, but just slowly tapered down over the years while I kind of built my entrepreneur real prowess. I, I literally didn't even know what an entrepreneur was when I left in 2015 and it's only been in the last two three years that i've really kind of picked up learned and sort of hit an inflection point in business well this is really cool man i'm stoked there's a lot of things to touch upon here which i'd like to get into the first thing is for me um your choice to become an anesthesiologist i'm under the impression that's like pretty much one of the most stressful fields to choose to specialize in is that correct it is and it isn't so the way I kind of describe anesthesiology is 99% of the time you're sitting and doing Sudoku and then 1% of the time you have to be a total ninja and manage a crisis and it's literally life or death. And you have to go from Sudoku to life or death within seconds and then flip back again. And, you know, that happens rarely, but 
often enough that you have to be prepared and poised for it. So yeah, it can be stressful. It also includes intensive care and emergency medicine. Um, so, you know, it's kind of got that baggage attached to it, but I like that. I like that a lot. And actually it was less that the job that I didn't like, I loved the job. I loved the work. I didn't like the system. I didn't like the infrastructure that I was getting into the politics and that's what kind of scared me away. Can you just, just I don't really know what that means. Can you kind of give us some insight into the politics of, of what you're describing? Yeah, it it's, there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of culture. There's a lot of kind of unwritten rules of how things should go, how you should behave. There's a lot of red tape and it's becoming more and more unpleasant in my view to work under that environment you know, you've got a boss, obviously. And it was just a lot of things were out of control. A lot of things were, it's hard to describe without kind of having kind of been there. And also it sounds very spoiled, I suppose, from my view. I was like, no, I didn't want to do what I was told. I didn't want to, you know, play by their rules. There were arbitrary rules and which I didn't understand, didn't agree with. And I just had to stick with them because they were the rules. It was only when I left that I realized that, one, I didn't have to play by these arbitrary, silly rules. Like, I could only take leave when they told me to, and I could only do certain things. It was just this, like, overarching structure, which I just didn't want to play. I mean, another example was the government changed the pensions for all of the doctors. And that was it. They just reduced how good the pensions were, and no one could do anything about it. They all tried to have strikes and whatever else, but nothing happened, and... That was it. The government was like, right, we're going to take away your money. And I was like, this, this is unacceptable. Hmm. Yeah. No, I can how, imagine how frustrating that must be. Do you consider yourself somebody who manages stress really well? Um, or have you learned how to manage stress over the years? I mean, your personality is such that you don't seem like you get too stressed out. But in the way you described your job responsibilities, it sounds like you were put into some extremely stressful situations when you had to just change on a dime going from Sudoku to like man of the hour. So in your opinion, are you somebody who manages stress well, or have you used certain techniques and tricks to help yourself with stress management? So this is super interesting because there's definitely different types of stress when it comes to, you know, the life and death hospital situations that I feel was absolutely fine because I was well-equipped I, you know, I like being good at things. I was well equipped to deal with those things. So that was no problem, even though it was, you know, there was a lot on the line, as they say, life or death, it was still part and parcel of the job. So for whatever reason, I managed to not be affected by it because it was within my parameters. But then there's stress related to business or my expectations, which does affect me a lot more. And I'm learning to deal with that. I think the difference between kind of a mapped out medical career where you're kind of working within boundaries to now business and entrepreneurship where there is no limit, I'm learning how to deal with a different stress now. Yeah, let's talk more about this because Itamar in his episode talked a bit about this and how you know managing stress within a structured environment like the military is one thing, and he's put in obviously some very gnarly situations. But they have you know he has a superior officer telling him you know how to manage the stress, what to do, and where to go. Where when you throw yourself into the entrepreneurial game, 
there is no roadmap and you are just kind of floating in this idea that you're trying to now manifest into your income where maybe someone did kind of come before you, but their way of doing it isn't your way of doing it. And you're super stressed, you know? So talk to me a little bit about that. And as you transitioned out of, you know, becoming or the medical field into this entrepreneurial um, endeavor and the stressful situations that did come up, how have you been able to mitigate that? What are you doing to help yourself through these hard times where you don't know when the next paycheck's coming in and you don't actually even know how to do the next step to get your business more seen online or something like that? Yeah. Or you sometimes don't even know what you don't know. Exactly. You know, it's, it's like, but you know, you don't know what you don't know, which is just gets to a point where it, you, you almost feel helpless, but yeah, I mean, in a hospital, there's very fixed rules and parameters. Things happen. There's a protocol for everything. And it's a case of kind of, you know, there's initiative and things, but it's, it's going through going through the motions and following the guidelines. You know, there's a structure, a hierarchy and all of that. And that was no problem. And then in, you, you know, when I left that, it was, I can do anything I want to. I can set any goals I want to. And, you know, I like being good at things. So I set very high goals. And then I, if I achieve them, I set higher goals. And then at some point I struggled to achieve them. And then when I struggled to achieve them, that stresses me out, even though they're entirely self-imposed goals. And inevitably I'm going to keep upping the ante until I get stressed. And, you know, funny, you mentioned it tomorrow. I literally spoke to him last week on a mastermind about this exact thing where he instantly, as soon as I got on the call, he was like, dude, what's going on? And I literally said, logically, everything is absolutely fine, but I keep setting goals, which I can't achieve. And that leaves me despairing, even though logically everything is absolutely fine. Super interesting. It is. Yeah. So then how are you dealing with it? I mean, I know you like exercises. I'm assuming that's one way you kind of blow off some steam and, and give yourself some perspective. So I think that is actually one of the biggest issues right now is my usual form of exercise is gym training. And, you know, most days of the week for an hour or two, I'm out of the house, you know, doing all the kind of gym stuff, going to the gym, warming up, cooling down, showering, all that kind of thing. And I underestimated how important that was for my stress control, because now on lockdown where I've only got bodyweight workouts, which I don't particularly enjoy, I'm struggling. And that's what's precipitated this recent kind of crisis, should we, <laughs> should we say? Yeah. Um, but I mean, Jim, so, you know, I'm a sort of health nutrition coach and I, I start from the basics, the physiological stuff. So sleep, nutrition, and exercise. And if you're neglecting those, you're putting yourself in an awful position for for getting stressed and responding to it poorly. If you eat ice cream all day, as much as I love ice cream, it's just going to put you on a roller coaster of feeling like shit. So start there. And then on top of that, I found, and these are cliche, but meditation and journaling have been very, very helpful. Journaling more so recently. I've gotten into a tendency of when I start to experience negative emotions, I reach for my journal with no expectations and just start writing about them almost like a third person observer and then just pick through them, work them out. And that that's, I find that almost immediately soothing. So that's been my biggest hack right now. 
Very interesting. You know, since you've chosen to really go after the, you know, the fitness side, health and wellness, nutrition, um, as your, I guess this is your first entrepreneurial endeavor after leaving the medical field. So I actually recently did a post about all my entrepreneurial failures. There was about eight, eight or nine of them. Um, but in 2015, I started out as a fitness coach. It wasn't really a business. It was just self-employed. You know, I was earning some money. It was fine, but it certainly wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life in that current format. But during that time, I went to open a gym in central London that failed. Seminar circuits failed. Ebook launch failed. Online courses, clothing, fitness clothing line. As I said, the whole Instagram influencer thing. I tried a lot of things and none of them stuck. And then it was 2017 where I kind of worked out what a business was versus being self-employed. I worked out what entrepreneurship was. And then in the last sort of 18 months, I kind of worked out how to actually build a business out of coaching and sustain myself without this kind of medical work backup, which I'd been kind of using, you know, the ER shifts. Can you tell me what that means to you when you say, you know, you worked it out, you worked out what it means to be self-employed versus being an entrepreneur? Because I think I could use that information right now. <laughs> so the way I see it is being employed is getting a salary from whoever and some sort of job, some sort of contracts. Then being self-employed is still earning a certain amount of money, but without it, it's money for time, right? You know, you work for eight hours, you get money. When you stop working, you stop earning money. So it's like being employed, but worse because you have no security, no stability. You almost don't have anything. So then the next step is to make it into a business where you're actually building systems and things where it's not, you're increasing the leverage, you're increasing the amount, either the amount of money you're getting for your time or you're separating the two. So it's not, if I work six hours, I get, I get six units of currency. If I work one hour, I get one unit of currency. You know, it's I, I work 20 hours a week and my business grows year on year on year and I can take a month off and still, you know, my business goes on kind of thing. So then within your current model, because I, I have a limited understanding of what you do, like how does that fit into what you just described? Because I mean, still sounds like you trade a lot of your time for money. I mean, you talked about having some courses early on in your entrepreneurial journey that you didn't feel really worked out, which for me instantly goes, well, that's the model you just described. Like create an online asset, drive traffic to it, automate the systems. And that's more of what I feel like you were getting at. But can you, can you clear up the confusion for me? Yeah, that's a great, great question, actually. So the, I'm at the first stage with my coaching. So I'm increasing the money I'm getting from my time. And I've also minimalized my lifestyle to the point that at any time I've got six or eight months worth of expenses in the bank. Coaching is a very low, sorry, high profit uh, business. It's like 95% profit margin. So, you know, there's no overheads. I've got a lot of leeway there, but you're entirely right. If I stop working, the business stops working. Now, I do have two other kind of side side hustles. I've got supplements on Amazon, which are entirely scalable. And I have partners who, who I do those with and uh, real estate, which I have a business partner with as well. So those are kind of the, the, uh, the scalable parts of it, but also the coaching. I'm building out a team 
I've got, there's four of us right now, including another coach. So as I start to send clients to my coach using my system, then I'll be able to grow it. So I'm just at the tipping point for my coaching. I see. How's the supplements going, man? I remember when you were getting that launched and yeah, I'm interested to hear how that's been going for you. Yeah. So that, that launched, that was launching literally when we first met in, in get shit done in what was that? 2000 end of 2018. And yeah, it's gone, gone really, really well. I mean, Amazon's a tough game and I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in it. I'm the, I'm the science and the pretty face. So I leave all the, uh, the Amazon stuff to the guys, but it's going really well, really, really well. We've got kind of five supplements, which are totally crushing it. And we're looking to continue to expand and grow. So yeah, we've done really well for, I mean, 18 months or something now. And even in today's climate, like I just saw something like Amazon affiliates are completely fucked or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thankfully that, that scheme is different to what, to what we're doing, but that is the issue with Amazon is Amazon has control over it as in they can, they can change the game if they want to, they can just say, you know, we're going to charge you more to sell through us and then our profit margins go down. So we're looking to get off Amazon to get off that dependability um, on them because they've shown in the past and, and are showing even now that they don't really mind competing with its sellers and, you know, screwing over its affiliates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like such a frustrating company to work for, work with. It's just, but there's such a huge company and have so much control. It's like they, you can't really do anything about it. And so many people have made their fortunes from, from Amazon. Interestingly, a lot of my first, kind of nutrition clients came from the Amazon world. I just kind of stumbled into a few Amazon events and, you know, they, they were all kind of the first cohorts of Amazon sellers. They did, you know, the Amazon courses. I can't even remember when it was. I don't know the details. People will correct me, but I think 2013 or something. And they all kind of did those courses when they first came out and then built up these Amazon businesses. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's that whole debate. Do you just double down on Amazon and make a load of money or do you focus on diversifying, getting off Amazon and, you know, staying safer? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Going back into your fitness knowledge and bodybuilding knowledge, why is it that there's so many different differing philosophies on health, wellness, fitness out there dieting? You know, you got keto, you got Mediterranean diet, you've got, I mean, can you help me understand like why there isn't like one kind of consensus on the best way to treat your body to get the results that you want? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a few reasons as to why there's no single consensus, but the way I see it is that there's a handful of very basic core principles and above that, there's a million ways to interpret those. And as it goes in business, you have to have, a unique method. You have to have a hook. You have to have some kind of secret science formula that causes you to melt fat. So people use these basic principles and they invent a million and one different methods, which all use the same principles. And then they package them up in different ways. So keto is one of them. Fasting is another, you know, the Mediterranean diet is another one, I suppose, slim, uh, Slimming World, Weight Watchers, the Juice Plus, they're all variations of 
the core principles. Which are what? To, to sell stuff. Um, so energy balance is kind of the fundamental, you know, law here. If you eat less than you need, you'll lose body fat. If you eat more than you need, you'll gain muscle and body fat. And that's how keto works for, for losing body fat. That's how fasting works. That's how slimming world works. That's how meal plans work. That's how tracking your calories works. Everything works based on that principle. And the internet seems to have people arguing over minutiae constantly for the sake of arguing, you know, vegan carnivores, they're all just going at each other where it's just like, look, this is the basic principle. And then if you want muscle, protein is great. Vegetables are generally good for you. And that's pretty much it. And people almost won't believe that. They're like, no, 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 it has to be more complicated. I need to control my insulin. I need to, you know, do a food tolerance test. I need to do all this stuff. But it's people looking for a quick fix. It's people looking for a magic pill. Controlling your energy balance is, is literally the key. So input versus output. It's like input being like a healthy amount of sustenance in a, with a healthy variety of what meat, vegetables, grains, and then output being <laughs> exude more energy so than you put into your system. Yeah. And exercise is good for you because 75%, as an example, of the energy we burn each day comes from just being alive. So exercise is a part of that, but, you know, it doesn't burn a huge number of calories for an average person. So exercise is great. It's healthy. But, you know, just being alive burns the calories. You don't need to go for jogs. You can just, you know, diet. You can just reduce how much you eat. And what I tend to say to people who say, you know, doesn't nutrition get boring for you? Doesn't, you know, if it's just that simple, what, how, could, how can you still be doing it? And I'm like, look. The science of nutrition is super, super simple. It's just that let's not overcomplicate it for the sake of it. However, the the art of nutrition or the coaching of nutrition is all about human psychology, behavior, habit change, identity shift. And that is interesting because every human is kind of a unique set of experiences, preconceptions, uh, stresses and everything else. And that's what you're actually coaching. It's not about whether someone needs to do keto or fasting. It's about how you can apply these basic principles to a real human in real life and make them stick to them long-term. And that's, that's the trick. I can relate in my coaching with surfing, you know, just people's preconceived notions of what surfing is and the relationship they have to the ocean, the fear factor of it all. Like I'm constantly playing a psychological game with them, trying to yeah, yeah. mitigate those fears and then give them enough positive encouragement, positive reinforcement of the things that they're doing well to keep doing them and keep them motivated. Yeah. Motivation is huge. How do you keep yourself motivated? I mean, in the sense of, I know it's your passion about it, but to, are you, is this going to be your, you as a lifestyle, always being Emil Goliath, the bodybuilder slash fitness coach? Like, I mean, for yourself, you're going to always go to the gym. I think I'm always going to go to the gym. It's, it's, way beyond bodybuilding. So I, since I've been, since I was super young, I've always exercised. I've always done, you know, pushups in the bedroom to start with. And then it was rugby. And then I've done roller hockey, strongman, mixed martial arts, and then bodybuilding. I've done lots and lots of different things. They're just all different stages of my life, but the one kind of tying or, you know, conflict factor, which relates to them all is, is the gym. And I just enjoy it. And I enjoy it because it's kind of, it's my kind of safe space. I can 
go there. I, I can train, I can exercise without getting injured and it feels good. I do it for the sake of doing it. I've gotten to that stage. So bodybuilding was just, you know, I don't consider myself a bodybuilder anymore. It was just something I did, but I still, I love the gym and I can't ever see myself stopping that. And I can't ever see myself not wanting to pursue a healthy lifestyle because for me, that's the foundation of everything else. If you're not healthy, you can't achieve wealth or happiness in the long term. So it's always going to be the foundation for me, whether I continue to do coaching and what the actual long-term plan is. I, I don't know. Do you believe in this statement? If you feel like shit, when you wake up, there's a reason for it. Like there's something you did the day before that is making you feel like shit the next day. Or do you believe that just sometimes you wake up feeling like shit and there's no rhyme or reason for it? I think a hundred percent it's based on maybe not the day before, but preceding days, weeks, whatever it is. 100%. We should wake up feeling absolutely freaking amazing. Really? Interesting. I had a so, the, so my mom is in the same boat as you. Her whole my whole childhood. It's like if you feel like shit, like you did something the day before, like you said days before, weeks before that kind of led to that moment. But then I went to a like an acupuncturist, this guy, this hardcore like Muay Thai fighter from Thailand who said, "You know what? Like your mom's absolutely wrong. Like some days you're going to wake up and just feel like shit. And it's better to just accept that rather than sitting there stressing over all the things you've already done in your past that maybe led you to that moment and just get on with it. And for some reason, the way he said it, I'm not doing a good job, but that made sense to me. And like the days I, I mean, obviously when I wake up hungover or something like that, I know what I did, but the days where I should wake up feeling good and I don't, I just write it off as well. It's just one of those moments and like get on with it, you know? So it's interesting to hear your perspective. And I mean, I still kind of agree with you, but for my own sake and peace of mind, it's like, wake up, feel like shit. I didn't do anything to deserve this. Let's move on with it. Who cares? You know, I agree with, with the guy that we should, we shouldn't get hung up about it. We should surrender to that feeling and allow it to happen because it's happening and there's nothing we can do to change it. But I do think the future wake ups are within your power. And you may not be able to decipher why on that occasion you were feeling like shit, but for the vast majority of us, we're not doing, we're not looking after our uh, mental and physical health and relationships and everything else perfectly. There's always something we can improve and it's both mental and physical. It's, you know, have you nailed all of your physical things that you need to do consistently for the last however many months? Have you nailed all your mental health things as well consistently for the last couple of months because any of those could come up and of course you can get ill and then you'll wake up feeling like shit and there's probably nothing you could have done about that but generally speaking i think you can moderate it a hell of a lot mm -hmm. are, you, are you somebody who calorie counts um i have in the past a lot um i don't at the moment but for me calorie counting is a tool to teach you about food and to teach you about how your body reacts to food. So going back to the basic principle of energy balance, it doesn't mean you have to track calories, but if you don't know what food is, you, you need to learn about it basically. And you need to learn about what your body can take before you get fat, what your body can take for you to lose weight. So I, I feel tracking is something that people should do for a period of time just to learn about food and their bodies. Mm -hmm. What's your biggest vice like when on your cheat days? What, what do you love to just cheat on when you're, when you're not being super healthy? So I'm kind of one of those people who I try not to kind of build this like 
dichotomy with food of like good food and bad food. I'm like, oh, food has properties. Ice cream has more calories, but it tastes freaking amazing. So it's not bad. It's just situational, right? Mm-hmm. So ice cream is my is my thing. I eat ice cream realistically most days. I really, really like ice cream. But then I don't have crazy cheat days or binges or anything like that because I have ice cream most days. So I can have you know some ice cream and stop mm-hmm. because I had it every day of the week. So it's kind of you know a huge part of nutrition coaching isn't just dropping 10, 20 pounds. It's building a positive relationship with food. So people aren't, aren't wanting to have cheat days or binges. They're not having this stress or fear around food. It's like, Oh man, I fucked up. I, you know, smashed two pizzas. People shouldn't want to do that. That's again, that's a psychological thing that's been built up over time because pizzas are considered bad, for example. So I, as an example, I had a client who really loved pizza and he said, no, I'm not going to have any. And I said, look, you really need to have some because you're going to build this up and make it a thing. You just need to fit it into your weekly plan and just have some pizza. And he did. And he was like, yeah, actually I had it. And I was underwhelmed. And I was like, great. You didn't leave, You didn't let it build up. You had it. Now you've made a choice. And that's key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that relationship because I binge on pretty much everything in life and you can even go into like my personal space and silence. Like I need to have silence for a certain amount of hours every day or when I came to Thailand this last year in 2019, like I spent like three months very with very little conversation with anybody on a daily because I just I needed that. And I realized Mm -hmm. dawned on me this last year, like I binge on literally everything and like I can talk to my therapist about this. Why? But uh, with the food thing, like I know I binge on food because when I grew up, like my mom was so psycho when it came to health and wellness. Mm. You know, it's just like as a kid growing up and wanting to like eat ice cream, like I wasn't allowed ice cream and like it was just a nightmare. And I think, and I was the kid in like the neighbor's pantry, like when all the kids are playing outside, like I'm pantry, like sneaking whatever like junk food I can find, dude. So I think... Um, I can relate and, but then I've traveled a lot and, and through just lack of money had very little and, and learned to kind of manage it at times, but it's, it's definitely come back at times too. I think my equivalent there would be video games. My parents didn't let me play video games. So whenever I went to friends' houses, it was like, right, get out the SNES or whatever it was. And we're playing street fighter for six hours. Do you still play? Oh, as soon as I left, I kind of I did that binge phase where I kind of did it overly and now I'm kind of in a happy medium. Okay. Do you, do you consider maybe some of your desire to be a bodybuilder, to be a fitness guy, like a a binging aspect of your personality? I definitely have an extreme, um, an extreme, I don't know what the word would be, but like an extreme mindset, like I'll take anything to the extreme. So when I was 24, I was taking things to the extreme. I was bulking to be a strong man and I got myself to 320 pounds in body weight and I had a health crisis. So I started dieting to, and that's kind of where my, my nutrition journey really started before that it was all strength training and, and you know, lifting more weight. And then I started learning about dieting and, and I got down to a healthy weight and then inevitably took it to the extreme, which is bodybuilding and kind of did that. And then I left medicine or at first I became very very good at what I did in medicine again extremes and then 
I started this whole business thing. And then again, I'm trying to take that to extreme. So it seems to be what I do, but I tend to kind of shift on a couple of years cycle where I get bored and start looking to do something else. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I can really relate. It's funny too, like with your whole entrepreneurial endeavor, like mine kind of started around the same time, 2014, 2015. Um, and mine was just out of the need to you know, maintain a life on the road because I know that's where I, in it, my inner smile really shines when I'm just like out on the road in a culture that's interesting to me that I can kind of just be out exploring is where I really find myself most fulfilled. I mean, are you finding that for yourself? You're in Malaysia as we speak, right? Yeah. And yeah. So go ahead. Go on. No, no, you go, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I, I mean, we've done Thailand together. You're in Malaysia now. Are you finding your kind of comfort, your most comfortable in Southeast Asia? Or do you find, like, a certain satisfying satisfaction in that culture? I I like the change. I like the movement. I like the exploration. So, I mean, I love Southeast Asia. It's the second year here now. But I'm also open to you know, exploring other places and, and super keen to explore other places. But this is almost where, you know, I talk about the extreme extremeness is I'm going to these other places and then for weeks on end, not leaving the apartment because I'm, I'm hustling, which is a horrible word. But besides that, I'm working really hard on my business, even though I'm in amazing places. And it's only recently that we implemented a day off. Right. So, I kind of hit the extreme. I, I hit the the end and then I kind of bring it back over time because logically I know that it's pointless and unsustainable. Yeah. Do you see yourself ever going back to the UK and making a life for yourself or do you think you're either consciously or subconsciously kind of seeking out that, that place to settle down and, and plant some roots with, is it Effie or Ellie? I'm sorry, your, your girlfriend's name? Effie, yeah. Effie, yeah. Yeah, so we... We don't know, to be honest. I imagine we'll want to stop at some point, but there's no rush. And as you say, there's no there's no obvious place that we've decided on yet. We, I, I can't stand the cold unless I'm skiing. So the UK all year round is just not going to happen. I love I love the UK in the summer, and even then it rains a lot. But in the winter, with kind of, you know, six hours of daylight, just constant rain and gray and cold, uh, it's just it's unacceptable. I can't, I can't be dealing with that. So it'll either be somewhere which is nice all year round or two bases or something like that. Nice. Yeah. The, the perfect balance of, you know, keeping that summer home and then maybe having a little winter chalet if we all can get there financially. Um, I spoke with Freddie. I, I Go ahead. No, you finish. I, I was just going to say, I literally think that's that's the goal of all this business is to create these, you know, create these perfect environments for for living. My, my thing is personal development and growth. So that's what I'm literally building a business. So I have more time to do those things. And the environment is part of that. You know, I can really relate to that statement. I mean, the thing I'm most satisfied, I find myself most satisfied with is when I'm personally growing and striving to be the best person I can be. You know, whether it does, it comes to personal health, uh, mental health, just being a good person, you know, in general, like having that sort of natural impulse just to help because I don't always do. I mean, that's where I really see myself wanting to develop. And yeah, the business is just help allowing me the amount, the amount of time I need for personal development. 
Yep, exactly that. Um, I talked to Freddie today, Freddie Lansky, one of your clients. He, he, his last episode, I guess, will be when this all airs. Um, he really liked your program. And I, I noticed that he did a, a pre-photo and a post-photo. Um, and he shredded, you know, from the workouts that you had him doing. Can you take me and the audience through, like, um, you don't have to do his personal stuff, but like in general, like what working with you would be like and what we could expect timeline wise to get to the goals that we set for ourselves? Yeah, for sure. So I like working with people on a kind of deep one to one level and because, you know, I talked about how the science principles are relatively straightforward, but the real change happens through um, psychology, habit change, behavior change. And for that, you need a lot of time talking together and, and interacting. So the, the program is, is based on weekly coaching calls. And we don't talk a huge amount necessarily about nutrition, but a lot more about life and, and you know, that kind of thing. The... The timeframes will be different for everyone, depending on where they want to get to. I mean, Freddie got to his initial goal in 10 weeks, where the before and after photos happened. But we're now working on maintenance and eventually muscle growth once we're all out of out of lockdown. But it's it's a process. There's always a process of learning at the beginning. There's an assessment of what the starting point is, what the knowledge is, what the preconceptions are. And then the first bit is to kind of build a blueprint for the individual to achieve goals. So you know what calories you need, how much exercise you can do and, and enjoy, how many steps you can do, kind of start to gather some data for an individual because everyone is different, both in terms of what they can accomplish, what they want to want to accomplish and um, what, what will make the change for them. So we gather some data and then once we've kind of got the basic physiological data, calorie steps, exercise, then we start to integrate it into lifestyle to make it effortless because this has to be effortless. This has to be about choice and not willpower. And then once we've got this going effortlessly, it's a case of just getting, you know, keep doing it until we get to a goal. And during that time, we experience different events. So, you know, people travel, people go to conferences, and each of these events is an opportunity to learn. So as we go through them, we like integrate them into the blueprint. We say, okay, so now we have a plan for when you do long haul travel. Now we have a plan where you're at an event. Now we have a plan where you're, you know, hanging out with family. You slowly, you, this is constantly learning. You never get this perfect, but you, you pick up the thought processes for how to approach these situations. And then once you reach your goal, however long that takes, um, the next step is maintenance. And that is just as difficult, if not more so, than the initial weight loss phase. Because everyone has a story of how they lost 10, 20, 30 pounds. But most people rebound because they neglect the transition back to normality. So that is almost a process unto itself, which is what I'm going through with Freddie right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one thing I like about what you do is you know, you help, you know, digital nomads, people who travel and are constantly in different environments whose routines are changing. The only like constant is that we're constantly moving, but then landing in a new spot and having to get back into the routine that we were just doing on a daily, say from Thailand and Malaysia, like that's hard. And you give some really good insights to, you know, digital nomads on how to do that. And then I'm assuming, obviously it's very translatable to anybody who's stationary, say in the States or anywhere in the world. And 
has a routine that they can just easily put on automate every day. Yeah, I find that I, you know, I work with a lot of digital nomads, but also a lot of business owners, even who have a base, they still travel a lot to conferences. They still have calls at weird times. They still have these unique stresses of business and living at home. So I find that there's enough kind of uniformity within that, that group of people that they get, they get benefit from, from something like this. Yeah, when we had a little conversation in recently in Thailand, you were really talking about sleep and how important a healthy sleep is. Um, and you had that ring on. What's it called? The ring you were wearing? The Aura. Aura ring. Is that a product that you'd endorse? Aura ring. You like that thing? I love it. I love it. I, I'm always very balanced with this kind of stuff. It's like, look, the things that you need to do to improve your sleep, you can do whether you have an Aura ring or not. However... The fact that when you wake up in the morning, the aura says you've been sleeping for you were sleeping for six and a half hours means you think, okay, I need to get to bed earlier. I need to sleep more. I need to make a change. Whereas if you didn't have it, you would brush over that and not think or acknowledge it. So that's the big benefit of that. So I mean, when you do your coaching, are you encouraging people to get that sort of thing? Or you just say, hey, this is an option. You don't need it necessarily, but it is something that kind of helps you really gauge how much sleep you're getting. I, I do. I, I talk about it. I encourage it. I think it's useful. The, the problem with sleep and stress, which are kind of two, the, the two core factors in nutrition and exercise, which, you know, you can manipulate on a short term level, stress and sleep are much more difficult to elicit change. So I kind of don't, I, I go deep into them, but I'm not looking for changes over kind of three or six months, however long we work together, because it's, it's just a much longer term thing. But I, 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 we track sleep, whether it's just kind of when you went to bed and when you woke up or whether it's an aura or a similar device. And then if it's an obvious point of issue, as in sleep is lacking or people are feeling low energy, then we'll dive deeper into sleep. And then I'll say, look, these are some books to read. These are, this is the, these are devices that you can get. And then the, these are things that you can implement to improve your sleep regardless. So it's kind of like if it's an issue – here are a load of resources. Let's see what, what sticks. Mm -hmm. If you could convey one thing to the audience about you know, drmeal.com, what you do, who you are as a person, what would that one thing be for them to really get to know you better and what you do? Wow, that's an interesting question. I think what I do is I help people take their health to the next level so that they can take their lives to the next level. That's fucking beautifully said, brother. <laughs> with And then I'd like to close with one more question, as I always do. If you could talk to one specific person listening right now who's ready to take that step but doesn't really know where to start or is fearful of even starting, what would you say to them? Fear of starting is huge. And I never realized this because obviously I'm on the other end of it. But talk to people who have been through the process and I mean I, I talk to me I don't bite I'm super chill I'm, I'm really not a hard pitcher I'm a scientist at heart just talk and you'll you'll get some ideas and you'll realize that it's a lot less imposing than you think it is hear that folks 
talk to Dr. Emil. He will steer you in the right direction. Thank you, Emil. I appreciate your time. It's been awesome chatting with you. Thank you, man. It's been really, really enjoyable and grateful to, to sort of give me the opportunity to talk. Awesome, Emil. Thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure to catch up with you and hear how your entrepreneurial endeavors are going. Love the fact that you are finding success in the health, wellness, nutrition space online, helping individuals really reach their goals when it comes to losing weight and achieving the ideal body that they've always wanted. Again, if you're a first-time listener, please pull up that phone, hit the subscribe button. Emil and I would love it if you shared this episode with one of your friends who either wants his type of service or you just think his story is really unique and interesting and you can relate and know somebody else who can as well. Thank you again for listening. I think you all are so beautiful. I appreciate you, love you, and look forward to seeing you in next week's episode. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.